Kelly Pratt. Welcome to the Dynamic Leader Podcast, where I share insights, experiences, successes, and failures with leaders from across a broad range of industries and business disciplines. I'm on a mission that you take courage to be open to sharing your experiences and making the leadership profile safe enough for the chaos, the growth, to have fun, and ultimately become more dynamic. So please sit back and enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another Dynamic Leader Conversation. Uh, Today, we are talking about human-centered leadership, and this is a topic that has come up a lot over the last few months. Um, Josh Burzen has written about uh, human-centric leadership and the need to really connect with people, but he's not the only one. Um, There's a lot of people that are talking about it, and I've got someone who I believe is an expert on being human, uh, with me today. It's Mark Labasque and you know he wrote the little book of humans so he's absolutely about this human-centric uh, leadership and so um, he has he's a Harvard trained consultant um, who works with both individuals and organizations to unlock their human potential through engaging in purposeful provoca- pro- provocation sorry um, to build their leadership capabilities via their human skills, such as self-awareness, resilience, empathy, vulnerability, and non, non-verbal and verbal communication. Uh, he's got two decades of experience in the business world, and uh, he's a successful leader across a lot of different industries. So welcome, welcome to the program, Mark. Thanks so much for joining me. Shelley, it's great to uh, be with you. Thanks for having me on. And I love the um, I love the idea that we can speak human today. And I know that this is something that you've been um, dealing with. How long has it been? I know you've been um, in the consulting world for uh, over six years, probably six and a half now. Yes, just on just over six years, coming into six and a half years now. Times um, times certainly flown, but uh, been having a lot of fun with it. That's great. So when you originally started talking about this, I think we we're all just a little bit behind, weren't we? Yeah, look, I think so. It's interesting how in the last 12 months with COVID, you know, particularly at the start of it when everyone had to get out of the offices and go to home, that um, the H word started to get a real run. And, um, you know, it's, I, I got to say, it's been one of my, um, I'm going to say most productive um, in brackets, busy years, because there's been a, a huge demand for organizations wanting to try and work out how do we become more human and um you know i sort of started doing this stuff about 12 years ago when i was back in the corporate and people thought i was a little weird at the time but i think um i think the world's starting to catch on yeah and you know i don't know about you but i've noticed that you know since um the remote working and even now hybrid working has come in a lot of leaders have realized uh, I need to manage more than just the business. I need to manage more than just the workflow. And I need to actually do more than just manage people because there's a difference between managing people and leading them, isn't there? Oh, absolutely there is. And um, I think what managers have started to realise is that there are two types of work. I, I talk about this a lot with people. We've got our, our technical work, sort of the process work, the strategy work, which is all really important. And then we've got what I call the human work, Shelley, which is um, those things that you talked about before in the bio. You know, it's those skills that we keep reading on LinkedIn are the skills that we're going to need in the next, you know, 12 to 24 months. And um, my view is that organisations are starting to realise that it's not one or the other. It's a combination of, of both. So there's been, a, I think, it's a stronger investment in, in those human skills, which, which is good. And... You know, leadership and management are very, very different things. Um, and particularly 
leading leading from a human perspective i think people are catching on to it so it's uh, it's i'm i am really really excited to see that start to happen yeah it's great and so your book i feel like it launched last year but i think it was 2019 it was towards the end of 2019 wasn't it it was actually uh, it was actually march the 11th 2020 shelly and it was i think it was the last time that we caught up because you know i was in town and 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 you know we've got a we've got a, um, a mutual connection in in Shea Parker and um, and you were catching up with Shea quickly and we we're upstairs at the venue that we were, were doing it at so it was it was really crazy because March the 11th was book launch March the 13th I think was when things started to shut down and um, so yeah sort of two days before it all all happened and interestingly I, I spent my first day back in the city which was is only four kilometres from where I live. On March the sixth this year, so it had been nearly a whole year since I'd been back in. But yeah, just just on a year that book's been out, and so it was almost perfect timing for the book to come out, and then everything else to happen. It's it's so interesting how that fell so nicely. Yeah, look, it did, and um, there's no obviously no planning or anything for that. In fact, some people I remember at the time had pulled out of coming to the um, to the event because of what was starting to happen, and. I guess me, like many others at the time, may have been a bit blasé about that. And it's like, you know, just come along and you'll have fun. But uh, we had a, we had a, a, a good night. But look, I think timing off the back of the first book, which was launched three years before, the timing with this one was um, was pretty good. And 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 you know, the pickup on the book has been, um, I think, has represented yeah. how people have started to try and get more into this human uh, this sort of human way of managing people. Yeah. Look, I, I've read the book. I remember reading the book after after you gave me a copy. I was at the at the drive-in <laughs> waiting for <laughs> um, and I loved I love the ease of the book. It's written really simplistically and there's some amazing takeaways. And I'm gonna actually refer to some of these throughout today's conversation because I think um, it's worth you know sharing them with our listeners. But I the first the first thing I want to uh, share is this human and I love how you put human wisdom so you've got Frankie and Otto who are the robot characters throughout the book and a great metaphor for um, you know their um, experiences with leadership but in one section you talk about um, the the true value of a leader lies in their authenticity and you say that that's where the human connection is born. And while it might not be immediately recognised, it's where the ideas, passion and confidence of team members is sparked and nurtured. And I just, I love that. And I love that in what you've just said is, you know, people have taken a little bit of time to pick this up. But I think the essence of it really lies in in that, in what you've written right there. Yeah, look, um, I guess it can be seen as an overused word, authenticity, but when you really get down to it, this ability for for people just to front up as who they are. And, and look, this is really challenging because we've been conditioned in, um, I'm not going to say just in the workplace, but in school and in university and these things to don't turn up as who you really are because it may not work in that environment. And what I found, um, what I've found in my six years of doing this work, but also my, my last few years in the corporate world is the more that you showed up as who you were, um, the more you connected. And I'm big into deep connection and a strong sense of belonging. And I just think that we miss opportunities here by getting caught up in this way of 
don't bring your whole self to work, don't bring your real self to work. Um, and what I found was that the more that I experimented with being authentic, the more people were drawn towards me and, 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 and being authentic themselves. And I think what that then allowed us to do was to do some of the things we, we ch were challenged by, like have really challenging conversations. Um, I think that's one of the really important things. Um, knowing more about each other is another piece too. And the other one I want to say is, and I think we forget this a bit, that human beings are equipped with the most amazing bullshit detectors. So the moment that they start to be triggered, that is the moment we lose, lose that authenticity. And, and then we're sort of back to the square one of, I'm trying to work out today, which mark turns up today? Is it good mark? Or is it bad mark? Or is it mark that just decides to come and say hello to me? Or he doesn't, he goes straight into his office. And then we start to get into the game of how do I spend my energy trying to work out how I deal with Mark. So authenticity, I'm glad you picked that one up, um, Shell. It's such an important part of, a, I guess, a human manager's toolkit. And, I, you know, if I'm thinking about what you've just said and the um, high levels of anxiety and overwhelm and this concept around nurturing mental health and well-being now is I think if you have a leader that doesn't show up each day consistently, or somewhat consistently. Sure, we all have different moods, but if you don't have someone that's showing up relatively consistent, consistently throughout the week, the nervousness, the anxiety that causes on people, because I remember working with a leader who I just, I didn't know whether she was going to come in and yell at us. And, you know, I worked in hospitality in this environment and depending on how she woke up, we were either going to get blasted or we we're going to get ignored or she was going to be really, really happy and we were going to have a great day. And I really struggled with my mood being dependent on someone else, but she just had such presence and it was awful. Yeah, um, look, and here's the thing. It takes a lot of energy, like a lot of energy that we could be used for good to, to try and work out how am I going to do that today then? So if, you know, if you're my boss, Shallon, you're a bit up and down and I'm not quite sure. Granted, I'm also going to say this, you're also human. So it's okay to have the ups and downs, but I always sort of think a bit like this with people, with managers is you're on the stage 24 seven, pretty much. Um, and when you're there with your people, um, you've got to understand that they're spending energy trying to work out how to in some impress you so it'd be nice if they can turn up a little bit more um, as who they are rather than as this different thing every day. And look, I, I, I went through a period myself of doing that, Shelley. I remember working in far north Queensland way back in my early days of managing. And I just would walk into the office and go straight into my office, right at the front door next to reception. And um, I didn't even think about that. But what my people were craving was me walking out and just asking them how they were, how are you going, what's your day look like, how was your weekend, um, having human conversations. And um, if we don't do that, well, then what we do is we, we push people away rather than getting them drawn towards us to, to do, do that great work. And so who do you think um, struggles with this transition the most? Because I sort of look at, you know, when I first... Um, moved into leadership, one of the things that I was told was, um, you know, you've got to separate yourself from them. And 
I even remember being in the workforce, you know, leave your, leave your home stuff at home. Uh, but it's okay if you take your work stuff home. That's fine. But just don't bring your home stuff to work. And I, I remember people saying it and it was, and it was spoken enough that I actually developed my own kind of commentary and rhetoric around it, never really questioning, how does this actually work? <laughs> so who, who struggles the most with it? I think we all struggle with it because um, we have we work in a system that is in a management system that was created back in the sort of early 1900s, 1916 or 17. They came up with this. This is the way that we should manage. And and in that in that management tool kit that they gave managers back then, it very much said humans are units of labour. <laughs> units are an out. Humans are an output. And then it was like, how do we get them to become more efficient? more productive how do we squeeze more out of them so if we were able to do that we then got promoted and we kept getting promoted and so what's happened is that management system really hasn't disappeared so people are still rewarded for being technically competent and being able to get as much out of another human being as they can interestingly when you know when COVID hit last year you talked before about leaving your home person at home and bringing your work person to work. All of a sudden, home was work. And then it was all of this, you know, oh, what can we do now to be more human? The ones that struggle are the ones that are really, really bogged down in, in that sort of the old, I call it the quicksand of the old management system. They're just stuck in it. Um, what started to happen, I think, is people who had started to dabble into what if I actually got to know Shelley a bit more because she was in my team? What if I got to know more about, I know that she loves to go camping. I know that, uh, that, 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 that she loves the outdoors. If I'd started to know that stuff, um, we were just continuing a great relationship because I decided to bring myself and share things about myself. The ones that struggled were the ones that were still caught in the, how was your weekend? two words and then let's get into the KPIs and let's get into the whip and let's get into the Gantt charts and all of those things. And I think people are still struggling um, to find a way to bring both, even though they've had to be subjected to showing a bit more about themselves at home. So I think the struggle is real. The struggle is a hundred years old. So it's been around forever. Um, so it's going to take some time for us to break that. Do you see? One sec, one sec. You wouldn't believe it. The courier driver just rang my front doorbell. Hey, 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 come back. Come on, back here. Come on, it's done now. Yeah, it's done. Back here. Back. Come on. Sorry, once I get the ringleader in, the rest of them come in. So go and lay down again, please. Sorry what about I, that. What I love about our human-centered conversation is just how normal that is. <laughs> well, I'm just bringing my real self to, to this podcast, Shelley. It's just, this is what's going to happen. And, um, you know, this is the way the world is today. I, I know when it, when it first happened, I was really sort of almost embarrassed when that would happen. And now it's like it's a matter of that's, that's work now. Yeah, I, I love that people are, are so okay with it. Um, 
So before before your dog's allergic to the courier, um, <laughs> we're talking about. Um, so the younger, do you think that younger, the younger generation, so Gen Zs are you know well and truly in the workforce now. Do you think that they find it easier to bring their whole self to work and tap into that, you know, their authentic selves easier, or do you think they've still got the challenges because there's still a lot of managers that are that hold that old style view? I think there's a bit of both here. So I think that they find it easier because um, I think information is more readily accessible now through social networks and all those sorts of things. So they get to see a lot more of how it can be different. Whereas I, I say when I was going through, it was like, this is how it is. So you just, you know, turn up and get in line and do the things you need to do. So I think they they see the world through a bit of a different lens and it's, it's because it's full of information. Um, are they still challenged by it? Absolutely they are. Because there's a thing that we call becoming institutionalized. Yeah. And they've had a bit of a go at it through school because they've been measured from the age of five and working through to, you know, if they went to university or whatever they might've done. So they've been getting performance managed all the way through. So they've had some of that go on the really challenging piece is how do they break that cycle when they get into the into the workplace? Um, and it's, I'm going to say it's the same for the institutionalised ones as well. There are there are many people who are, you know, have been in the workplace for 10, 15, 20 years and desperately want to find another way to to do work, but they're they're sort of, I guess it's what do we call it, the golden handcuffs or whatever it might be. They this. There seems to be no other way. I'd like to think that um, in a human in, in organisation that um, the, 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 the Gen Zs and that will will share their experiences with the older folk, the Gen Xs and, and, and whatnot, and, and we'll find some sort of balance in between. I don't think there's a... I think there's too much of this. It's, it's either one or the other. And I used to be really one or the other person, but now I'm saying, well, what if it's somewhere in between? So... My view would be, let's not get too carried away that the Gen Zs and that are all going to be different because I don't think they will be. Or don't get carried away with that the Gen Xs have got no hope. Somewhere in between that is, is, is the place. And if managers start to focus on that, I think we can start to see some progress. Absolutely. I, I love that. Um, I love the, the concept of being able to hold two things as true at the same time, that that there's a lot of ambiguity that comes with that. There is a whole lot less certainty um, as well. It's much easier to put someone in a box and then, you know, work through that than it is. So it really, you know, in order to hold two parallels to be true, there's so much else that I have to change about how I'm thinking, how I'm operating, how I'm doing and being, you know, a leader. Absolutely. So, um, You've hit on a really good point here. This is one I could talk to you about forever. This ability for us to not know the answer in mm -hmm. a particular point in time and sitting with different perspectives and even getting to the maturity of accepting that your perspective may not be this perspective that's going to take an organisation forward or, you know, create great engagement or motivate people or whatever it might be. So um, our ability to do that starts with what I call the work of self. And, 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 I, and I think this is where, um, and I know, I, I, know your, I know the work you do, and um, which I think is amazing, is 
a lot of your work, which is similar to mine, is we start with the work of self. It's people coming into the room and holding the mirror up to themselves, not like the old training, which was come along, we'll do a, um, some sort of psychometric profile on you, which will tell you the exact human that you are. So then you're labeled and you're boxed. And then secondly, we're going to teach you how to motivate people. We're going to teach you how to have difficult conversations. We've got to stop looking outwards in this human work, this human-centered work, and we've got to start forcing people, when I say forcing or challenging people to look inwards for longer than what they do in order to work out that, you know what, there are some things that I'm doing today that, I, that are useful, but there's a lot of things I'm doing today that have made me successful, but are no longer useful. And that's the challenge. I think the great challenge is, are you kidding me? The bloody another career driver's just turned up. One second. Guess what it is this time, Shell? It's the, uh, it's the water guy. Excuse me. What, he'll just gonna drop, he's, he's gonna drop some. I'm going to drop some water bottles on the um, on the watch. It'll be about two minutes. Let's just keep talking. Hey, no, that'll do. One of our dogs' barks changed in the last two or three weeks. He's gone from having like a high pitch bark to that one. It's like a. It sounds like a seal. Frank, <laughs> that's Frankie, who the um, who the book, the robot in the book, is named after. Oh, fabulous. The, the six-year-old chocolate. Miniature long-haired dash hound. Right, he's out now. Excellent. Sorry, I think I I think I finished answering that question. By the way, I hope. I do like the point though about holding different perspectives, and because I don't think we I don't think we do enough of that work. You know, one of the um one of the other things that I've been talking to school leaders a lot a lot about over the past twelve months, um, and it kind of goes to your you know, holding the mirror up and that is, um, you know, who, who am I, who was I yesterday that served me well, that today actually is no longer serving me. And a lot of the work that I do with leaders who feel like they've hit this ceiling and they can't kind of progress and things feel a little bit stuck and, you know, they've got the same problems over and over is, um, you know, what are you, what have you, what are you identifying yourself with that is actually not Hang on. Hey! Enough! One sec. I just wish this bloke, he's just sitting in my driveway at the moment. Like, get out, mate. <laughs> You've done your thing. Now go. Yep, now he's backing out. So. Um, and so, you know, being, for example, um, you know, once upon a time, I labelled myself as being, I'm direct. I call it as I see it. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I just tell the truth all the time. And, you know, that got me to a certain point. It um, allowed, you know, people to see that I would make decisions quickly and stand up for my views and, and actually have an opinion. So it worked well in that respect. But then um, I, I came unstuck because I was intimidating to my staff and they couldn't connect with me and they thought I was um, a little bit mean and, you know, so it was what I had to do was I had to drop the connection that I had with that identity. And rather than picking up something else, which I did, so I dropped that and I picked up, I'm, I love people, you know, <laughs> I'm a great person. And then, 
you know, and then that didn't work either at a certain point because I wasn't, I wasn't achieving the results. And so I needed to be able to go, well, I'm not that or that I'm actually both. And, Mm. and it depends on the context. And so a lot of the conversations I'm having at the moment are who, who do you need to be in this context that is part of who you are, but maybe not who you've identified yourself with. And then how do you hold that? Yeah. Um, the term I use for what you've just talked about is that term of human innovation, that idea that um, today I choose to be. So we, we're, we're human beings that have become human doings. And because we get so caught up in doing stuff, we forget that, you know, that strength of yours to um, show up and tell it how it is actually becomes a derailer when you use it too much and people are like, oh, here we go. Here goes, here goes Shelly again. I've done the same thing. Um, Predicated in a lot the, the work of Marty Linsky and Ron Heifetz in the adaptive leadership space, um, just quickly, what you talked about then is leadership is about the distribution of loss they talk about, including what you're prepared to lose yourself as a human being, which has served you well. To, so that served you well to a point. You want to keep some of it, but then you wanted to add some other things, and I'm going to choose to, to be a, a certain way. Um that's bloody hard to do because as, as we get rewarded for things that we do over time, we keep doing them. Mm-hmm. But how do we stop in a point in time? And I, look, I really believe that I call it the two A's, um, <clears throat> awareness and adjustment. So every day we should be thinking about the two A's. Um, how am I aware of how I'm responding now, how I'm behaving and how do I need to adjust? And then co- combining that with humanization, which I think I write about it in, in the second book as well. This, yeah, there you go. Is, um, is this idea that at any particular point in time, this is something managers should think about. When I get to work, how do I choose to be? When I go to that first meeting, when I go to those six back-to-back meetings during the day, I need to choose to be. Something might be different from one meeting to the next. And this, is, this comes back to you know, self-awareness, um, that if we cannot become more aware of how we are, we cannot but start to be aware of how others are unless we can be aware of how we are. And then the challenging bit, like, like you, um, mine, was, mine was more about, like, we've just got to be more human in the workplace and don't worry about the data. The data will look after itself if we become more human. What I started to realise was that <clears throat> I actually needed to combine my below-the-neck stuff with this feels right with above the next stuff of go and find some data that says that if you become more human and do these things, more empathy, more compassion, whatever it might be, here's the impact that it can have. So I'm actually losing some of my rightness that it's just got to be human and adding some, something that I'm not particularly fond of is looking for data. Mm. We only, you know what, we only ever use research that supports our message really. And sometimes we've got to look at research that doesn't. So you made a great point here. If you can't adapt and, and start to lose some of your management DNA, in the end, you become, I think, particularly with what's happened in the last 12 months, you actually become extinct. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that'll be the differentiator for leaders in the future is who can adapt and adjust and um, you know continue to deliver what is needed from a human perspective as well as a business so it's being able to hold those two things 
in place. The, the great the great conflict there quickly, just as I think about it and I'll forget it, is that we live in such a world of last week's results, the monthly meeting, the quarterly review, that this human work is the is is a long game. So you know what, we don't have a KPI sheet on vulnerability, compassion, all of this stuff. But if we just started to practice it, you know, thankfulness, helpfulness, care, fun, all these things, over time, when people see it happen, like they did in the early days of COVID, um, the results will start to start to turn. But I'm talking about that's sort of like months mm. to do that. And what people say to me is, I don't have months, so I need to do it now. And I'm like, well, there's your conflict right there. Um, human beings um, are adaptive species. It happens over a long period of time, incrementally, not in one big bang. You know, let's write a policy that says we should be more human, follow these things and it'll be good. Doesn't work. No, well, they just need a copy of your book, Mark. Um, well, you know, what I sort of said, don't follow these steps, but my book's got seven steps and now I think I'm a fraud. Well, but I think that's a perfect example of um, you are not the you are not what you write. That is just part of it's a yeah. have, it's a perspective that you have. And I think I think it leads really nicely into this idea that we've got to be we've got to remain curious and we've got to throw judgment in the bin. Seriously, there is no place for judgment in the workplace um, or in life. To be fair, I think the minute you apply judgment is when I can go that's when I can say, oh, well, Mark says you've got to be fluid and connect with humans, but he's got these seven steps, so he's a contradiction. It's like, oh, no, he can hold those two things to be true even at the same time um, and applied in different contexts. I, I think that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, maybe I was just trying to um, sort of slightly tell the hero story in a bad way about myself. I am really the hero. I just My, my message is just a bit convoluted at times. Um Judgment is an interesting one. I speak about judgment with my clients a lot. In fact, when they come to my program, the first thing we do is play a game called judging Mark. So I give them some, I give them some things to judge me on. And like they're random things too, Shelley, like uh, which ice cream flavor would I like out of vanilla or mint chopped chip? The second one is which reality TV show would I be better at dancing with the stars or um, survivor? And what happens in the room is people are like, well, we don't judge. And I go, well, you already have. So let's, Let's move on. My view is we shouldn't stop people from making judgment, but what we should do is we should teach them that awareness and adjustment is important in judgment. Um, and then the other thing is, is intention. You know, when you are judging, what's your intention? Is it, is it well-intended or is it not so well-intended? And, but, but again, holding to know that, you know, people, people will judge me as being, He's amazing. He's this human guy that he's amazing. Other people are like, he's, he's kumbaya mark. And then there's everything in between. But what you've, got to, what you've got to help your people with is to understand that if you're making judgment, what's your intention? To, what are you going to do with that judgment? Are you going to use it for good or are you going to use it for evil? Yeah, and I think now that you've spoken about that, I kind of think about um, you know, judgment judge with curiosity because you're right we do judge and you know, that's part of what helps us make good decisions and it's part of um i think what keeps us safe but it's how do i how do i hold how do i pause on doing anything about the judgment and hold that space of curiosity 
Yeah, so here's the other thing that I mean, they've got to overlay on this. This is a great topic. Um, we spend so much time convincing other people about rightness. <laughs> so the reason that we judge is because we want to then find out whether we're right or wrong. <clears throat> so when I do that activity in the room, I have five different questions. And then people are like, so what are the answers? And I said, why are they important? And they're like, oh, we just want to know. No, no, let's dig into that a bit deeper. And then they finally say, because I want to know if I'm right. So again, great managers and, and there's this new approach to management is to be able to hold the space when you don't know the answer. And, and then when you do find out the answer, because I give out the answers over two days, I just drop them in in little stories I tell. And you can almost see the people in the room with a little fist pump when they know that they're right. And then the ones that aren't right, they can sort of they drop their knuckles and their, their shoulders, you know, they drop their shoulders. And it's like, we are so caught up in meetings. Think about this. We go into meetings and then we start to get into the game of rightness. And then we talk about things called facts. But here's the facts. Because here's the data. Because here's this. And then all of a sudden, it just keeps going up the tree until the, the you know, the, 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 the highest in the room gets to make the decision on what's right. Mm. Now that's that's counterintuitive to things like innovation and creativity and all of problem solving perspectives, because what we really should be doing is hearing from that voice that goes, what if that's not right? Mm. So judgment is there to prove, to do two things. One is to protect us from danger from back in the days of the caves. And then the second one is, is to demonstrate our rightness. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I th I then think, well, if it's about rightness, that's an ego thing and that it is our ego that allows us to push further, go harder, deliver more. So it also um, is what helps us to continue to grow and succeed. And so, again, I think it's that, I guess we need all of it. We just need to be aware of it. And, and then it comes back to awareness, doesn't it? Yeah, don't um, don't for one moment think I'm anti-ego. I have a massive ego myself because that's sort of how I am. But it's the, it's the, it's the regulation of that that I think in that moment when you're there and you're like, you know what, I just said something and I actually feel like a bit of a dick. Now, I can do two things here now. I can keep going down the pathway of, of that message and be in the, the you know the, the, the dick in the room or I can be going hang on a minute um Shelly just said something that's triggered me and I think she might be right but I'm going to hold my line here and then we just get into a the game of rightness so I think the point you made before is really important is that if you get triggered you we will all get triggered to know that all of a sudden we're pushing shit uphill just stop pushing it uphill and sit there and go Maybe if I listened to someone else's perspective, maybe if I showed some empathy, um, some understanding of where they're coming from, that I don't have to be right. I, and I can be human by actually saying at some point in time, you know what? I was wrong. Mm. Ah. Imagine that. Imagine if people said that in their work. You know, you know what, guys and girls, I was wrong. Um, and I'm not, I'm not going to apologize for it, but thank you for helping me to see something. This is important. Help me see something that I couldn't see. So powerful for a leader to be able to say that. Um, yeah. and, 
and you know I think first they actually have to say it to themselves before so I think a lot of leaders don't say it to themselves enough um, and I, and I want to bring up um, I've been holding this page open I really want to talk about it um, when we talk about judgment and all of that kind of thing it's on page 150 for anyone who has a little book of human and if you don't then get yourself a copy because it's awesome um, but you say uh, and this is about performance improvement plans. So when an employee is on a PIP or performance improvement plan, um, don't write them off assuming they are a loss. I love this. Uh, help them and make them feel valued during this critical time in their career. It pays off for the employee and the organisation. I, I so resonate with that on both sides. Uh, at one stage, I was the leader who judged someone and thought that the you know outputs or whatever it was was who that person was and therefore there was no going back from it and um and I would <laughs> try to get rid of them I'd be like yeah. they're done they're out and I would write them off and, and I feel terrible about that now because that is such an easy lazy way out yeah I love those last couple of words easy and lazy um, and look, I've done the same, Shell. I've, I've practiced exactly what you talked about. And here's why I was able to practice it so well. Because once I created the story in my mind about that person, all I could ever see were the things that they were doing wrong. Mm. It's a bit like I say when you, when you buy a new car that you haven't had before, the only car you see on the road after you buy that car is one just like yours. I don't know what they call that as some condition, but it's the same in the workplace with, with tips. And that sort of stuff is you go, you know what? If I've if I've decided in my mind that Shelly is just not, she's not gonna make it because she just can't negotiate the big deal, I'll keep finding examples of that. I won't see anything good that you're doing. I will continue to see the bad stuff that you're doing. I'll pull stories, what I call out of my bad news filing cabinet in my head about you. And there's there's a section on on Shelly Flett, and I just go, oh, there's a story that helps me now to 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 finally get rid of you. So mm -hmm. the hardest work to do is, is this, is to first of all go, what's my contribution to where Shelley's at? Mm -hmm. It's my stories. It's, it's the way that I've been taught to go through this process. Now you're on performance management now, so I'm gonna have different conversations with you. So what am I bringing to this that's not allowing you to get better? Um, how do I then sit with that and go, what do I need to change about myself? What do I need to lose? Um, doesn't mean that you're going to get an easy ride, by the way, but then I'm going to have a conversation with you about, here's what I've observed, here's the things that we need to work on, um, and you need to do some work here as well. So easiest way to do it is, you know, put them through the bell curve. The old trade in human flesh, as I call it. Let's just, you know, let's have everyone, let's have let's have a 60% in the three and then let's do all that sort of stuff. That's just the, that is the inhumane way of dealing with poor performance, I think. And, and guess what? It still lives on. Well, you know, I, I always look at, um, you know, I'll contrast this with um, whoever employed a poor performer. No one. <laughs> You know what? I, I think I was just having a conversation about this last week with someone saying, um, when I hired that person, I'm like, yep, they're not going to be very good. Uh, they'll be, in fact, they'll be horrible. In fact, I don't even think they're going to get through their probation, but I'm putting them on because my gut feeling told me that 
that gives me a chance to show people that I'm going to fire someone after 90 days so that I'm still in, in charge. We never hire people for, 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 for poor performance, but something happens. And, and look, I write about this in my first book. About, in, in step two, I talk about um, confusion reigns versus clear purpose. Two, two simple conversations with your people should be around why they're relevant and how they contribute. And the reason I say that is because human beings need to have a strong sense of belonging. And, and starting someone who interviewed well and saying, here's your car keys, there's your laptop, here's your KPI sheet, I'll see you in 90 days, is no way to be human. What you should be saying to them is, hey, Shell, I, I, I actually hired you because the relevance you're going to bring is this and the contribution you'll make is this. All of a sudden you say, as an individual... I now have a sense of what I'm bringing to my team and to my department and then ultimately to my organisation being successful. I say that's a 10-minute conversation, Shelley, with someone to go, here's why you're relevant. And it might be because, you know why you're relevant, Shelley, because you're, you're, you're an agitator. And whenever we're just group thinking, you still tend to jump in and say, no, 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 we need to do something about it. And how does that contribute? It actually breaks us out of a, a mould. It doesn't necessarily have to be a technical skill. It could be a human skill that, that you could share with your people and, and, and watch them walk out of your office two feet off the ground floating going, I feel like I belong now. It really is a shift in mindset for leaders, isn't it? Well, it, it's a big shift and the biggest shift we've got to make is we've got to reimagine what trust is. I was asked recently to write an article about how do we re-establish trust after COVID? And I, and I said to the people that wanted it, you're assuming that we had trust before then. Yeah. If we're re-establishing it, it must mean that we had it established. I'm, I'm going to say this, it's a shift in mindset. We've got to reimagine what trust is. So I'm going to say that we need to trust implicitly. That's, that's, hugely, that's hugely risky. It puts us at risk because if we do that and it doesn't work, well, then we look bad, but we need to reimagine that. And then we need to reimagine what work is. I said it earlier, there's two parts of work. There's the technical work and then there's the human work. And I actually think we've got to start to talk about reimagining stuff rather than redesigning stuff or re-establishing stuff. Let's just reimagine what it's like. And it starts with us, Shell. Like we are our greatest experiment. And if we're not prepared to experiment on ourselves, well, how can we experiment on others? Oh, here we go. You keep, stepping, you keep skipping automatically to the pages that I have open. I like oh, there you go. There's something going on up here. There. You know, in your book, you say um, you are the experiment. And I, love, and I love how you speak what you write about because it just really, it just really resonates. So you say, ask yourself, am I prepared to experiment on myself in order to succeed with others? And then you say, if the answer is no, then I suggest you pack up your bat ball and go to the world, you know, which I love. Um, but you say also, however, if the answer is yes, then you should be feeling those butterflies fluttering rampantly in your stomach, along with a combination of excitement and trepidation. You're ready to take the plunge and start adding human. I love that. Yeah, well, look, you know what? Um, my The reason I am where I am today is because I ran a two-year experiment, which started on myself, which was what would happen if I treated my people more like human beings? And I had to start with me. The first experiment was to reimagine trust. And then those other seven steps that come up, they were like little experiments along the way. Most of them, if not all of them, had me absolutely terrified. 
because this is not what's made me successful. And, and the other thing is that my peers would be like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing this for? Because you should be doing what we got taught to do all the way through. And if you're not prepared to experiment on yourself, because I think if we get really deep now, our life is an experiment. Every day we get up, we, we try new things and we test things and we get data that confirms or disconfirms our hypotheses. And then we move on to something else. And then we try again and we, and we just keep experimenting. And if we don't have an experimental mindset, then we can hardly be human because we're curious souls. That we are. And I think that's a really good place to, to end. I, I think we are the experiment as leaders and we really just don't need to do much more than be human uh, and that we need to be human with ourselves first, that, yeah, we've really got to take that journey. And one of the things that I always... Um, ask leaders that I'm working with in a coaching capacity is how are you part of the problem? Mm. And, you know, that's, that's often where the conversation starts. Um, and that's often where you know whether this is the person who wants to do the change or not. So some people will skip out at that point and that's fine. Um, they take that's the when they and go home. <laughs> that's when they should yeah, pack their bits, bits and pieces up or, or, or maybe just sit with their catastrophe for a while and then, Try and help them because it's just like you said about a pit. Let's not give up on the manager that we think can't make this because I think we all can do it. We just need to, as, as Marty Linsky says, we need to sit with our part in the mess and then work through that and then be given, I'm going to say be given space by our managers to be able to do that. But, um, yeah, that's sort of, I feel like I'm getting pretty deep and philosophical now. I better stop. That's not where a bogan should go, shall I? <laughs> Certainly it's not. Um, but I want to thank you so much for having this conversation. I think we could talk about this stuff all day. Um, there's just so many facets when you're talking about human-centered leadership or being human um, that it's it's all it all intertwines. It's all connected. You you can't be human over here and then not human somewhere else. It's it's all reliant on each other. It's it's a little bit like an its own ecosystem, isn't it? Yep, it is indeed. And you look, and I'm going to say this too, don't try and do it all at once. Like just small steps in on the long game of human is the best way to, to make this stuff work, which is fighting against our system that says weekly results, monthly this, quarterly this. So, Shell, thanks for having me on. It's been a, a pleasure talking to you. Small steps in for a long way to be human. Love that. Mm. That's such an awesome quote. Thanks, Mark. And no. if anyone wants to connect with Mark or... Uh, purchase a copy of his book I'll put all the links in the um, in the comments um, so take a look there and I look forward to having another dynamic conversation with you all very soon thank you thank you thanks again for listening to another episode of the dynamic leader there is no better time than now to work through your leadership and people strategy to establish what the future might look like for your business and how you might empower your people to help you succeed it is through building the capability of your people and reducing their dependency on you that will keep you moving forward at pace and will see you remaining relevant in the future. I have worked with over 100 businesses across almost as many industries and seen firsthand the challenges that come with employing, engaging and managing staff. If you're looking to improve how you lead, why not reach out for a conversation? 
in the meantime, thanks so much for joining me and stay awesome.